Welcome to Homebase Hope, all about autism, the show that invites you to think differently, inspires you to take a whole child approach, and most of all, instills hope when it comes to your child and autism. I'm your host, Rhiannon Crisp, from homebasehope.com.au. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Homebase Hope podcast. Today, we're talking all about nutrition and supplements, and I'm joined by Peter Mullen, who is one of Australia's leading naturopaths and a sought-after practitioner in Australia. Peter specializes in children's health, and his patients often refer to him as their last hope, as he's particularly skilled at working out the cause of their complex health complaints. Welcome, Peter. Good morning. Thank you, Rhiannon, for having me. Uh, absolute pleasure. Now, this is the first time that I've actually had someone join me live <laughs> and not over the internet. So it's um, it's awesome. Well, actually, it's been lovely coming up and just seeing where you live, really. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's a Very beautiful nice. part of the world. Um, okay, so first of all, before we get into anything, we always rewind the clock a little bit. So if I can get a bit of background about you and the kind of work that you do today, that would be awesome, just so we can give our listeners a bit of background info. Fantastic. Yep. So I'm a naturopath and um, we've, I've been in practice for 30 years this year. Um, my wife and I have a naturopathic centre here in Newcastle. Um, we have five other naturopaths that work with us and everybody specialises in different areas, but um, one thing that I'm particularly passionate about, obviously, is children and children's health. Um, and, you know, some of the changes that we've noticed in health over the years as well. So kids, kids' health, um, diet, nutrition, um, looking at making sure they're on the right nutritional supplements. Um, yeah, really maximising kids' health. Fantastic. Um, well, let's dive into it. I'd love to know what is going on with kids' health these days because obviously so much has changed over the last 70 years in terms of lifestyle and how we live our life and what we're actually eating these days. What's going on? Well, that's a very good question. So over the 30 years that I've been in practice, health generally has become a lot more complex. When I first started in practice, kids' health, adult health, was so much simpler. These days, every case is a complex case. And luckily, that's what I really love. Um, but unfortunately, it's not so good when we're seeing such changes. So with kids' health particularly, we're seeing an increase in what's been termed the four A's, autism, ADD, ADHD, asthma, and allergies. I remember when I was at school, no one had nut allergies or couldn't take a peanut butter sandwich to school. But, you know, we're seeing kids these days have, you know, a wide range of... Um, problems when it comes to allergies and autism is one of those conditions that's massively increased over a very short period of time so something's obviously going on in my opinion um, there's four contributing factors to this Um, number one and this is a really big one is changes to the microbiome you know our gut microbiome is not what it was even a hundred years ago you know we're losing diversity we're losing species Um, kids on the autistic spectrum particularly when we do Um, digestive stool analysis, we find all sorts of irregularities in their gut flora. We find parasites, we find bacteria that normally just shouldn't be there in a healthy gut. Microbiome comes from the mother and is transferred to the baby and it's probably over three generations that we've seen this change in gut flora. So I think that's a massive contributing factor. Um, The second thing, and this is a theory called the hygiene hypothesis, that we're being too sterile with our kids these days. We're not when we're having babies, we're not letting them play in the dirt. We're not letting them play with the dog. We sterilise and clean them within an inch of their life. 
Um, and there's a theory that because they're not having exposure to, you know, the surrounding natural microbiome, that this could be impacting upon their um, immunity. Um, back to children and birth, we're seeing an increase in cesarean births as well. So kids are lacking that initial inoculation with the mother's microbiome. We're seeing um, mums that are unable for one reason or another to breastfeed as well. So right from the start, these kids are, are not not they're not up to speed with what a healthy gut should look like. Um, toxins, you know, we're seeing so many more toxins since about the 1950s. There's that many more toxins in our environment. And unfortunately, a lot of kids on the autistic spectrum seem to have genetic predispositions of not being able to cope with these toxins. So as much as we say, yes, there's genes involved in autism, it's not, there's not a gene to develop autism. There's genes that um, may... Uh, uh, interfere or cause interference with the way that child, that individual child, detoxes certain chemicals, and we'll talk about some of them a bit later on. Um, there's endocrine disruptors um, affecting kids hormonally, um, things like um, BPA and plastic water bottles. Um, so there's so much going on from a toxin point of view. Uh, heavy metals is a big one as well, particularly mercury. And again, you know, the difference with kids is some kids can detox and clear these toxins effectively. Unfortunately, kids that um, genetically are predisposed towards not being able to cope with toxins, these toxins are going to have very damaging effects on their health. So this is why we're seeing, you know, some kids are affected, some kids aren't affected. Um, and the fourth area is uh, comes back to diet and lack of nutrients as well. You know, our kids are fussy eaters these days, um, you know, with all sorts of sensory issues, particularly kids on the spectrum. Um, we were talking about this when we came into your house and had a look in your pantry, which was very phenomenal, by the way, um, that, you know, a lot of people consider that they're feeding their kids a healthy diet, but it's not necessarily what we as a naturopath or you as a, as a occupational therapist would consider healthy, particularly when these kids have these issues. Um, and they're lacking, lacking those essential nutrients, processing of food, additives and preservatives for sure. So they're the... Um, yeah, they're, they're the four areas why I think our kids and generally, you know, our whole health mm. is changing. Mm. And you touched on so many things then. Yes. And, it, and <laughs> it just goes to show that how complex autism is and, um, and really what you're touching on is this epigenetics, the fact that you can have the genes that predispose you to autism, but it can be lifestyle factors that can Absolutely. trigger it. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and that's a, that's a massive point. You know, as naturopaths, we have a saying that, you know, our genes aren't our destiny. You know, genes are 5%. It's, it's been said in the literature that genes are 5%. It's our environment and lifestyle is 95%. So we were talking about this before that, you know, we don't need to just think of conditions like autism as an endpoint diagnosis and that's what you were stuck with. We're looking at ways of trying to, and with, particularly in regards to supplements, we don't just prescribe supplements to correct deficiencies. We prescribe supplements to shift children's physiology and give them different gene expressions. So that's where nutrition can be such a powerful tool to really you know, as one part of the puzzle to really bring about change. And that's how we can attack or that's how we can approach this whole concept of genetic predisposition. Mm. Okay, so if a child came to see you, what sorts of things would you be looking at? What would you be exploring with them? Um, so from, from my point of view, the four areas that um, I tend to focus on 
And this depends on certain um, blood test results, case history taking. Um, autism is an interesting condition. Like people think of it as an, it is an inflammatory brain condition. But again, we were talking about this earlier, that it's a systemic condition contributing to an inflammatory condition that is occurring then in the brain. So the four areas that I look at, and every child starts from somewhere different. Like some kids, it's all about their gut health first. Some kids, it's more about... Um, um, inflammation. Some kids, it's more about detox. So, but the four areas I focus on is the gut, the gut particularly, and the connection between the gut, the immune system, and the brain. Um, we look at neuroinflammation, or actually what's going on in the brain. Um, detoxification. You know, if there's issues like heavy metals um, or pollution, you know, how to really um, improve that child. So, in talking about supplements, these are the four areas that I would relate supplements to and then immune dysregulation as well. So for us as naturopaths, we're gut gut mad. You know, we can talk about the gut and gut health all day, every day. Um, And, you know, the gut plays a major role, the balance of the microbiome, um, conditions like leaky gut is such a common condition that we see where the gut wall becomes inflamed due to, and the other thing that I didn't mention in looking at why our kids' health is different, we did talk about the microbiome, but one of the biggest disruptors to the microbiome is the excessive use of antibiotics from an early age that may or may not always be necessary as well. So um, with leaky gut, the gut wall becomes inflamed. We find then toxins that normally should stay in the gut, cross that barrier, get into the bloodstream and trigger an inflammatory response. Um, There's immune complexes that form that then can travel around the body and actually end up in the brain where they can trigger inflammation. So getting your gut wall healed, you know, for us is critical. And we can talk about that a bit later on about how we go about that. But Can I just butt in here and ask, how do we know if a child has a leaky gut? Are there tests for it? Look, there are tests. It's not an exact science determining if a child has leaky gut, but there's different different ways that you can assume that um, based on symptoms, but based on certain tests for sure, that whether a child has a leaky gut or not. And that seems to be, like for us, that's critical to get that gut. And, you know, basically we shouldn't have gut symptoms. Um, Kids shouldn't have gut symptoms. They should, you know, not complain of tummy pain. They should do a good poo every day. You know, they shouldn't struggle. Um, So many kids I'm finding these days have struggle around constipation particularly, you know, more so than diarrhoea, Mm -hmm. sneaky poos and fecal impactions are a big thing. Mm So, um, yeah, getting the gut. So when we talk about gut health, it's not just about taking a probiotic and, you know, cutting gluten and dairy. Us naturopaths want everyone to be off gluten and dairy, although there is is some um, science behind that. Um, But it's more about improving that gut function as well, you know, making sure food's digesting properly, uh, making sure that the bowels are working well, that toxins are being eliminated properly. Um, Some kids, and I'm seeing babies, you know, less than 12 months old that, I'm treating for chronic, chronic constipation that they've had since they were born and even with breastfeeding. So there's whole issues around gut function. Um, yeah, but it goes so much further than just the probiotic. But having a proper assessment of where your gut's up to, um, you can do things like a, a digestive stool analysis. We sometimes will do with kids, particularly if there's a lot of gut issues, and that gives us a lot of clues about how food, whether food's digesting well and also what the balance of bacteria actually looks like with their microbiome. So from that, we can then make adjustments to their diet and the correct type of probiotic, et cetera. Excellent. Okay. So if we dive into the supplementation, what 
what are the kinds of supplements that kids need to be on? Do kids need to be on supplements? Can they get everything from their food? I mean, there is that argument that, well, you that know. Is, that is my favourite question, <laughs> so thank you for bringing that up. Um, so regarding nutritional supplementation, nutritional supplementation is vital for kids. Every child should be taking supplements, I believe, this day and age, particularly because we've already what we've already spoken about, toxins in our environment, um, nutrient deficiencies, whole host of reasons. Um, and the fact that our food lacks nutrition as well, like zinc is a great example of a nutrient that's low in our soil. And if you're not buying, and, and you know, for all sorts of reasons, not everyone's eating organic food, um, then, then kids aren't going to be getting the nutrition they need. And the, the crazy thing is, probably the, the, the peak times in your life where you really need to make sure you've got optimum nutrition coming in is in your childhood years and the elderly also. But children's brains aren't fully formed till they're 25. So for the first 25 of years of a child's life, if they want to have really good brain health moving forward, nutrition is absolutely critical. And unfortunately, they're not going to get it from their diet. I'm on my soapbox now because this is a particularly... <laughs> Great, take it away. <laughs> That I am particularly um, passionate about. And also, too, um, so food lacking nutrients, increase in fussy eaters, um, all sorts of reasons why kids just won't eat, you know, a wide range of, of the right foods and nutrients these days. So first up, I believe all our children should be taking what I consider to be the essentials, which are fish oil. And the challenge with fish oil in Australia is that there's only one or two companies that I would recommend people actually take as a supplement. Um, fish oil is one of those supplements there's only a few places in the world that produce it mm -hmm. and then it's taken on board by different companies it's what those companies do with the fish oil in Australia determines whether it's 20,000 capsules for $20 which could have a lot of chemicals PCBs heavy metals or a company that takes that product refines and purifies it further to make it a helpful supplement so but fish oil is really important so can I ask are you able to tell us what those two um, companies are that you trust with the fish oils? Yes, the, the, the company that I trust the most would be um, Metagenics with their fish oils. Okay, great. Mm, so they, know, they have a specific kids fish oil then and how do kids take that? What's the best they way? Have it, they have it as an oil. Mm -hmm. So kids can take it off a supplement mm -hmm. or it can be mixed into, say, pureed fruit or it can be mixed into porridge. It's fairly tasteless, so it's fairly easy to take. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, that's the, the best quality um, fish oil supplement. And, and that's a worldwide standard. So, um, so fish oil, all kids should be taking fish oil for the brain development um, and it's anti-inflammatory on brain tissue. So fish oil is essential. Um, a quality children's multivitamin and mineral formula. And before you ask me what company I would recommend, we're actually, we've had quite a few discussions with the companies that we do work with, trying to get them on board to make the perfect children's multivitamin and mineral supplement because then you've got to take taste into consideration B vitamins often are quite strong tasting, so they can be a bit tricky. But um, I can keep you in the loop with where that's headed. But a really good children's multivitamin that has multivitamins and minerals and a quality probiotic. So I think all kids should be taking probiotic all the time and, you know, every so often rotating those around as well. Mm -hmm. So they're, the, so they're the essentials just for healthy kids before we even start. And the other thing would be vitamin D based on blood test results as well. Okay. Interesting. So with the probiotics, is that something that's dependent on the child's specific microbiome, like the strains, or is that just very gen a generic one? Um, we base, I tend to base the 
probiotic more on the child's symptoms. So if a child's got is an atopic type child, which is sinus asthma, eczema, and hay fever, then we I would recommend a strain containing um, what's called LGG. So it's a specific strain that's been shown to help um, to decrease that allergy tendency. So if, if a child comes to see me with eczema, I put them onto a specific probiotic that helps to balance the immune system to calm that down. Um, there's probiotics we use for people with autoimmune conditions. Um, there's a probiotic that I use that has anti-inflammatory effects, so it's good for people with irritable bowel or Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. Um, there's a probiotic I use that really is great for knocking out yeast or candida in the system. And my favourite at the moment is one that um, works on healing and repairing the gut wall, reducing allergy and atopy, and it does something else, but it's just escaped my mind at the moment, <laughs> so that may come back. So, But it's, it's a range of probiotics that we have access to and we target it. And then if we've done a digestive stool, an stool test with a child, then obviously we're really targeting. But the challenge with probiotics, a lot of people don't realise this, is that in the old days we used to think that when you took a probiotic that it stuck. To, if you took antibiotics, we thought it killed all your good bacteria. We know that's not true. It just knocks the load down. And then we thought if we took a probiotic for a month, that that would go in and those bacteria would stick to the gut wall and it would be all good again. It doesn't work like that. When we take antibiotics, yes, it does knock the load of bacteria down in the gut. And unfortunately, it can take ages to recover that load. When you take a probiotic, the probiotics work by um, in changing, improving the environment. So taking a probiotic encourages the growth of the bacteria already there. Um, taking a probiotic, if it's the right strain, can actually, the bacteria produce chemicals that knock out um, bad gut bugs. So they have an antibacterial effect. They encourage the growth of the good bacteria and hopefully they stimulate increase of things like secretory IgA, which is all about gut immunity. The benefit of taking a probiotic in that case then stops nine days after you stop taking it. So if you haven't done enough to really recover a healthy gut flora, um, then you'll regress back to where you were. So that's why I'm a fan of probiotics over a long-term mm-hmm. period. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, and so for parents who are thinking, well, I'm currently going to the pharmacy and just buying any random probiotic that they can find there, is that not recommended? You'd obviously recommend to go in for the testing, find out what they need. Look, you don't always have to do the stool test to work out what bacteria, but um, you do need to see someone that's versed in prescribing probiotics. Like probiotics like natural medicines, like these nutritional interventions or nutritional medicines we're talking about today, we're using them in a way to really enhance health. Um, So the more specific you can be, the absolute, the better outcome you're going to have, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So the kids, the kids generally looking at having good health. Yes, a general all-round, really top quality probiotic would be good. But if a child has specific health conditions, then you want to target it. If that makes sense. Yep, absolutely. Um, so they're my three, three essentials when it comes into um, um, that all kids should be on. Now. Talking back about some of the other areas, so we talked about gut health. The second area was around um, brain and brain inflammation particularly. So there's a um, supplement that we often will prescribe called NAC, N-acetylcysteine, or glutathione. N-acetylcysteine is the precursor to glutathione. We can actually, um, we do have some liposomal glutathione available these days as well, in the, in the early days, we didn't think that if you took glutathione, we thought it broke down in the gut. 
and you, you wouldn't absorb it as glutathione. So we went to prescribing NAC, which boosts the body's production of glutathione. But now there are some good glutathione supplements available. I'm segueing slightly. So glutathione particularly is, um, particularly with individuals, individuals with ASD, um, kids with, on the spectrum often will show lowered levels of glutathione. Now glutathione is a major brain anti-inflammatory antioxidant. So all kids on the spectrum, if you suspect neuroinflammation, should be taking glutathione. The trick with supplements sometimes though too is again, you don't, like I'm going to talk about quite a few supplements today, but the worst thing parents could do would be to go away, buy all these supplements or get all these supplements from a good source and take them at once. It's about staging the treatment along the way as well. But glutathione is, or NAC particularly is something that I would use pretty early on to try and get a quick reduction in that inflammation in the brain, try and improve some of that function. Um, so, yeah, antioxidant, anti-inflammatory. Um, zinc. Now, when we talk about um, some of the genetic variabilities with um, autism, have you heard much about pyrrole, pyrrole disorder? Yeah, so the, the different schools of thought, obviously, about pyrrole. Um, but I believe it really is a, a, a thing and it really is a big factor for a certain percentage of kids, again, on the spectrum. Can you explain what pyrrole is for yeah, those who well, haven't Pyrrole is a, it's a, a hereditary, possibly genetic predisposition again because it may be 10% of the population. So and if your child's got pyrrole, then mum had pyrrole or dad had pyrrole. So that's always an interesting conversation. Um, pyrrole, people with pyrrole um, don't break down um, red blood cells effectively or as well as they could, and it results in an elevation of a compound in the blood called pyrrole, and it's neurotoxic and inflammatory. So the first thing with pyrrole kids is they're producing a compound. As they break, as they break down their red blood cells, they're producing too much of a compound that then they're not getting rid of that's causing neural or brain inflammation for starters. It's a neuro, neurotoxin. The second thing that results as a result of pyrrole is a chronic deficiency of zinc and B6, now, zinc and B6 are two of the essential nutrients for um, um, uh, developing the stress coping system, you know, helping your adrenals function to function properly. So people with pyrrole suffer conditions like um, anxiety, uh, low mood. Um, schizophrenia was where they actually found um, a link initially with pyrrole. So the challenge then with pyrrole kids, so the way you get tested, it's a urine test. Um, kids with pyrrole often... You know, as kids, they couldn't stand loud noises or they couldn't stand bright lights. Their mums would say, oh, yeah, that's my child. They often or can have that bumpy, it's called um, keratosis pilaris, that bumpy goose, bumpy skin on their outer mm-hmm. arm, which has been linked to gluten intolerance, has been linked to zinc deficiency, but it's a common thing with pyrrole kids. So they'll have that bumpy skin on the outer arm. They'll often have white spots on their nails as well, which can be a sign of zinc deficiency. Um it's a urine test to test if someone has pyrrole and it's really easy to treat. The, the challenge with treating pyrrole is you've got to use two, so the two nutrients are zinc and um, B6 and then there's a host of nutrients go with that to help with the utilisation of your zinc and B6. But the challenge is you need to use a really absorbable form of zinc because zinc absorption can be poor in these kids as well. Um, so zinc picolinate is the ideal form of zinc to take if the child's got pyrrole. And instead of using just B6, you need to use an activated B6 because in talking about some of the genetic 
predispositions some of these kids have. One of the genetic predispositions is a, which I did have in my notes somewhere. Um, anyway, it was an interesting thing. So they have, some of these kids will have inability or difficulty in converting B6 to the activated form of B6, which is what you need to treat pyrrole. So um, with kids with pyrrole, it's a, it's a, a complex um, nutrient blend that we make up, but the two active ingredients or the major ingredients are zinc picolinate and an activated B6 or P5P. P5P, yes. Okay, so interesting. So with pyrrole, it is an objective test. It's not like autism where you, you don't get a blood test or a urine test or yes. anything like that for autism. Yes. But for pyrrol, you go in, you can get a urine test and a definitive, yeah. you do have it or you don't have yes. it. Okay. Yes, and you can also use it to monitor then your improvement as well. So it's one of the, it is good from that point of view. So what you do is you state a child on, and the zinc um, formula we use, which is, we call it zinc primer, can, for some kids it's like the key. For some kids, they take it and their, their behaviour just changes overnight. It's not always as black and white enough, but it's definitely a really important thing to tick off your list. One of, one of the big things I find with a um, uh, condition like autism is parents have a fairly big tick, tick list of things that they need to go through. Um, you know, seeing an OT, um, seeing a chiropractor, you know, being checked for primitive reflexes is another area that I find can really... Um, stay locked up in some of these kids. So there's a tick list. So that's one of the things that I help parents with is, okay, where are you best to spend your time and money first? You know, is it is it getting a stool test done and working with the microbiome? Is it getting a pyrrole test done first and ticking that off the list if that comes back? That's something we can easily test and easily assess. With um, pyrrole, so once you've, once you've started on supplementation for a period of time, ideally you want to do a blood test about three months later and check um, zinc levels, copper, and ceruloplasmin. So ideally, behaviourally, the early research around pyrrole found that a lot of kids that had really low zinc and really high copper had all sorts of um, mental health issues, behavioural stuff. So the idea with treating pyrrole is you want to get the zinc and copper in one-to-one ratio. So again, you can do a blood test to assess that you've got the levels right. So it's definitely a good thing to tick tick off the list. Mm. And two, with the zinc, I know that obviously kids on the spectrum tend to be very fussy eaters and zinc does affect the taste buds, which is interesting. So it can actually improve tolerance to food. Is that right? I say to patients, I know this sounds like an old wives' tale, but the number of kids that I've put onto zinc or corrected their zinc, their parents will say they won't eat anything. They eat these six foods and they they won't try anything different. And when I've put children onto zinc, all of a sudden they're interested to try a wider range of foods. So it definitely for some kids really can be the key with taste. And, mm. um, yeah, so exactly what you Interesting. said. I tell Very patients it does sound like an old wives' tale, but I've seen it time and time again. Fantastic. Yeah. And so would you say everyone who has autism should have a pyrrole test to look into this or, again, it's just work with your naturopath and see well, what the a, best There's a questionnaire. So there's a questionnaire that we have that, if parents fill that out and if we score high enough on that questionnaire, then I say it's worthwhile spending. I think it's about $140, $120. It's worthwhile doing the and it's a urine test, so it's fairly non-invasive. Worthwhile doing the test and just seeing whether that is the case or not. Okay. From a nutritional point of view, there's so many challenges with autistic kids about 
supplements. We've not even talked about how we're going to get them to take these supplements yet. We might um, come to that in a little while because that is a challenge. Um, and getting a blood test done, getting a blood test done for, for zinc and copper can be really challenging for these kids as well and some of the other nutrients like iron studies. You know, so many of these kids are chronically low in iron. and You can be doing all sorts of things, but unless you get the, the iron right, the zinc right, like your, the mineral balance particularly with these kids is so important, and that's before we even talk about magnesium and other nutrients as well. For me, nutritionally for kids, it's all about the mineral basis for starters, and then everything else builds in on top of that from there. Um, so, yeah, blood tests for specific nutrients can be of value as well, but, again, depends on the child and the age and stuff like that. Yeah. Awesome. What's next? Uh, vitamin D. Yeah, let's go. So vitamin D is fascinating. It's, it's a new kid on the block, not new, but last five or ten years. Everyone's vitamin D mad at the moment. But um, a lot of kids with autism can have issues with vitamin D. They often have low levels of vitamin D, even with plenty of sun exposure. Um, vitamin D has been shown to reduce some of the pro-inflammatory, what are called cytokines in the brain. So what's fascinating is inflammation in the brain comes from brain immune, cell, immune cells being activated and releasing chemicals to try and treat what's ever activated them. So in the, these immune cells releasing these inflammatory chemicals, that's what's causing inflammation in the brain. So it's a response of the immune system in the brain to something. The trick is to try and work out what that something actually is. But in the process of these immune system, these immune cells being activated and releasing these inflammatory cytokines, then we're getting all the behavioural changes that we're seeing with autism. So, so whatever. So the challenge is to try and find out what some of those triggers might be. So vitamin D, as I said, it can has been shown to reduce some of these inflammatory cytokines in the brain. Um, Increase brain glutathione levels, which is critical to detoxify neurotoxins, um, such as pyrrole, reducing free radicals produced during um, these immune cells in the brain activation. Um, and some researchers suggest that the levels we're after for vitamin D in an autistic child are actually really high. Like the reference range is less than 50 is considered a deficiency for vitamin D. I don't know that there are actually any specific vitamin D ranges for kids, but in adults, someone's less than 50, they're definitely deficient. The doctor will say, you're definitely deficient. If they're between 50 and 100, general med the general medical practitioner will say, you're fine. With adults, I like them to be above 100. Some researchers, and I wouldn't suggest anyone even try to get on the vitamin D, but some research is suggesting 120, 140, 160 which is really at the top end of vitamin D, what would be considered vitamin D healthy range. Um, but again, vitamin D is another good one because you can have a blood test and see what your levels are. Mm -hmm. Then you can supplement and test again that you've actually reached that range. Mm -hmm. So you're not just taking, because the, the, the risk is you don't want to be taking a heap of supplements and not being able to assess. Yes, you're going to see hopefully changes in um, the symptoms that you're looking to see change, but if you can also see results in blood tests, it just gives everyone much more confidence that we're on mm. we're on, on path here. And how long after kids start taking supplements do we start to see change? And Look, I suppose zinc, it's different. zinc can be magical. Magnesium can be magical, you know, for some kids. But again, um, yeah. So generally within. Look, with zinc and mag, kids are great because they don't 
we, we're not sort of thinking that it's placebo as much as we might with an adult. But um, I've seen kids improve within two to four weeks on, if particularly with pyrrole, with zinc and zinc, um, zinc and B six formula. I've seen kids improve within a month on magnesium. So um, yeah. So, but but again, generally, what I would say is three months cells turn over in the body every three months. So it's like making dietary change. I always say to patients, you've got to take, you've got to make the change for three months because the cells you have don't necessarily get better. It's the new ones that we're making all the time are the ones we're trying to influence. Mm-hmm. So three months is a minimum time frame, and then every three months there's a potential for that child to be even healthier and even weller again. So if you're implementing these changes over a 12-month period. The idea is in 12 months, your child is so much more healthy, so much more robust, so much, you know, their brain's developed and grown in that time. So the, the good thing that we have on our side with our kids is because their brains are continuing growing, we've got time to make these changes. And, you know, dietary change can be hard, but at least if we educate parents around, give it time, take your time to get all this happening and, you know, build a strong foundation and build on from there. Mm, absolutely. And I love what you said at the beginning is start off with one supplement and see if that's helping. Yeah. Start to measure that change. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Let's go to magnesium because you did bring that up a couple of times just yes. then. Yes. Tell us about magnesium and how we can take it, how kids can take it, what sort of form is it in and, and what good can it do for the body? Well, again, magnesium, you can get red blood cell levels of magnesium tested and research suggests that, that children but children with, um, on the spectrum often will have lower red blood cell levels of magnesium. So, again, keep in mind what I said initially about supplementation is we're not taking supplements just to correct deficiencies. We're taking supplements to make, hopefully, epigenetic changes and shift the physiology or the biochemistry in a certain direction. Magnesium is an awesome example of this. Like, if I had nothing else to prescribe, I always say if I had nothing else to prescribe, if I could only prescribe one thing, it would have to be vitamin C. I've always said, but magnesium would be a very close second. So um, it helps with anxiety and mood, helps support neurotransmitter pathways, um, um, awesome for stress and anxiety, um, uh, energy production, um, involved in increasing some of the calming neurotransmitters in the brain. Which Um, is very important for kids on the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Increases what's called... um, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. So magnesium actually increases the hormone or chemical that actually helps the brain to become more plastic. Because that's the other thing we need to remember is we want the brain still going to keep growing and developing as well. Like we're not just stuck with a brain that's inflamed. It's the brain that has heaps of potential to improve and function better. So magnesium is essential for all those things. But mm. particularly a lot of research around magnesium and, and adults um, particularly that have brain injuries as well, um, has been shown to increase neuroplasticity and stuff. So, yeah, magnesium is definitely. And magnesium is for kids that have trouble getting to sleep at the night time, kids that um, are bedwetting, kids that are really ticklish, kids that get cramps or restless legs or growing pains, um, you know, it's often a sign of being low magnesium. Uh, headaches, migraines, um, you know, there's some sort of some of the many areas that I'd always prescribe magnesium. Mm. What about the magnesium in Epsom salts? Is that something, you know, do they, how does that work? Uh, Epsom salts, from a a naturopathic point of view, Epsom salts is all about the detoxification. Mm. Like our skin is our largest organ Mm -hmm. and it's actually very super absorptive. You know, you only have to think about 
the stuff that comes in contact. Like the skin is super absorptive. So maybe there is some magnesium comes on board with Epsom mm-hmm. salts, but it's more about the detox with Epsom salts, opening up pathways and hopefully stimulating toxins to be released from the lymphatic system. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. But, you know, often um, it's very calming, very calming mm-hmm. on the nervous system as well. So mm-hmm. if you're having trouble sleeping, Epsom salt baths is part of like a detox process but a calming process as well mm. is can be very beneficial mm. yeah fantastic i know a lot of kids who do that and to use the essential oils in the bath as like a routine to calm down yeah. before bed because yeah a lot of kids can't um either calm down and have that ability to self-regulate and know when it's bedtime and know when to calm their body um and the bath is just amazing for that mm. yeah and the essential oils mm. there's a lot of stuff coming out about the effects of the essential oils on brain mm. chemistry mm. one of the things i find with um i was having a chat with one of um one of the practitioners during the week about um stress and the stress response and how in a lot of adults that stress response gets turned on and it never turns off mm. and i suspect the same thing happens with these kids maybe due to where the brain's inflamed that their fight or flight response is actually looped on all the time so mm-hmm. even when we think they're relaxing they may not be relaxing mm-hmm. so anything we can do to really calm that central nervous system down is going to is going to reduce inflammation the stress long, long-term stress long if that stress response is turned on all the time all sorts of things happen to the biochemistry our biochemistry shifts the kids actually become more acidic so a whole host of things so yeah magnesium can and the essential oils and the epsom salt baths anything we can do to calm down because the central nervous system comes, that stress response comes from the hypothalamus and the pituitary. And if they're, if they're affected with inflammation, then that whole stress response is chronically turned on in these kids. So mm. that's why sometimes things like the glutathione or the NAC initially to try and turn that down that inflammation while you're trying to calm the nervous system with magnesium, mm-hmm. sorting out whether they've also got pyrrole as well. Sometimes that, just before we even talk about, you know, we have to get to gluten-free and dairy-free at some point. But that, that may be a starting point before we even look at then, you know, going down the gut health pathway. So it depends on the child. I love, I was hanging on to every word you were just saying then. <laughs> Everything really resonated. And it's so true. Some kids are really just constantly in that flight or fight zone, um, yeah. just waiting for that next stressor to tip them over the edge and then they're in meltdown zone. So yeah, if we they, can... we've got no regulation because it's not, it's not a behavioural thing. It's a totally... It'd be like you or I having 15 cups of coffee and someone saying, then just be calm. Do you know what I mean? Like, or yeah. like if you're having an argument with your husband and you just feel all out of control mm-hmm. and someone says, just chill, Rihanna. Yeah, that does happen. not work, does it? <laughs> calm down. That's probably the worst thing you can say to a kid who is not coping. Calm down. Because the thing is they don't have the tools in their toolbox to be able to do that. It is this physiological response Absolutely. to a stressor. And mm. it comes from a primitive part of the brain. So if they're stuck in that loop, it's too late. The horse is bolted. You need strategies for when you're in meltdown, which are different strategies to after or before. So. Absolutely. And that's your area. Yes, I know. That's why we make a great team. It's one of your areas. <laughs> okay. What sup is next? Uh, fish oil. Let's go there. Yeah, so fish oil. Um, essential fatty acids, um, EPA and DHA. So when you get when you buy fish oil, the fish oils are called fish oils are called omega three fatty acids, um, and fish oil contains two components that have been researched, which is your EPA and your DHA. Um, EPA is the anti-inflammatory component. 
DHA is particularly good for brain neuroplasticity um, and brain stuff. So some supplements you can get that actually, you can actually get some DHA supplements on their own, concentrated, or you can get some, um, yeah, some, um, uh, I lost my train of thought. Um, so some supplements will give you just the DHA, which is all for the brain, or I'll, I'll often use the two in combination rather than isolate one out. Um, so fatty acids um, support brain plasticity, required for the development of new synapses. Um, DHA is actually essential during pregnancy and the first two years of life to support the rate of growth of neurons which are, or brain um, cells that are constantly forming new connections. So you need DHA in those early years. Um, uh, and just there were some studies around omega-3 fatty acids on reducing aggression among children, um, neurodevelopment, behavioural disorders, demonstrate a reduction in aggressive behaviour. So, you know, when we look at, um, I guess, these kids, we're, we're looking to see improvements in their symptoms as well. Mm-hmm. So fish oil, the right quality, and again, the quality is so essential, the right quality, the right dose, um, is always an important part of my protocol for kids. But again, fish oil, I find you don't get a big big response straight away. It seems to be the three-month thing. Mm-hmm. So that's where a lot of people take fish oil for a whole host of things and take it for two weeks or a month and think, I don't feel any different. Mm-hmm. So fish oil, because we're incorporating into new neuronal structures, it's going to take a while for that to really be laid in as an improvement thing. So fish oil is definitely like a long-term thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and omega-3 fish oil. Because yeah, omega-6 so omega- we're getting a lot of in the Western diet already, aren't we? Yeah, and it seems to be the balance between the omega-6 and the omega-3. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started in practice, in, interestingly, the, the supplement of the time was um, um, evening primrose oil, which is an omega-6 supplement mm-hmm. predominantly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that was interesting. And then it all changed from, no, we don't want we're having too many omega-6s we really want to focus on the omega-3. Mm-hmm. Um, we always get questions about vegetarian sources of omega-3 mm-hmm. and there's some companies do algae, algae-based. I don't know if that's really vegetarian, but anyway, um, algae-based. Um, there's some, some people will take flaxseed, yep. um, flaxseed oil. Mm-hmm. Um, some people seem to have a problem converting the oils in the flaxseed to the, the omega-3 and, or the, sorry, to the um, EPA and the DHA. So, my money's still on the fish oil as the ideal one, but obviously if someone can't take fish oil, if they've got allergies, then, you know, flaxseed oil would be the place to start. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what about kids in terms of fussy eating? Like a lot of the fish oils are very smelly and, you know, yeah. you know, kids are not going to go anywhere close to it. What can we do? How can we help the fussy eaters with the fish oil? Um, get a fish oil that doesn't have a lot of taste or smell to it and the ones that, um, we use from Metagenics, they're very good quality and they don't have a, a very strong taste or smell. Um, mixing fish oil in food. Mm-hmm. So if, if mum's made even a warmed food, you can mix the fish oil through that so you lose the taste. Fish oil sometimes, if you can get your kids into the concept of, um, I don't know if this is always ideal, but into the concept of having a medicine and using a syringe, Mm-hmm. Um, some kids find it easy to think that they just do their dose of medicines like that. Some kids like to do a little shot glass with a couple of things in it and take it like that. Um, with really fussy eaters, you can do things like jellies or gelatin um, squares. Mm-hmm. So sometimes things like magnesium or zinc we can put into the gelatin squares. Um, 
But most of the times it's trying to find um, a bit of a negotiation with your child around how they what their suggestions are about how they're going to be able to take their supplements and obviously not loading them up with a hundred different things because that that's not going to happen for anyone. Mm-hmm. So it is to be honest, that is the trickiest area I find in dealing with kids is coming up with creative ways of how they're going to actually mm-hmm. take stuff. And like you said, a lot of the times kids have the best ideas. Like they will tell you how they'd like to take it. Yeah. Um, and it is. And even parents are very creative with how they can get different things into their kids. So a lot of it is using creativity, your intuition, what you feel is going to work. Yeah. Mm. And also too, I think from a parental point of view, I think you have to have it firmly in your mind that these nutritional supplements, these medicines are really going to have a big impact. So you have to get them into your child somehow. Mm-hmm. You know, I find that, and I know it's terribly stressful for a lot of families around kids and supplements, but and oftentimes parents will say, oh, they just don't, they don't like it. I say to parents, it doesn't matter if they don't like it, if it physically makes them sick. If they gag and reflux at the look of it, then you've got sensory issues. We need to work on that. If they generally just don't like the taste, we need to find a way of improving it for sure. Mm-hmm. However, the parents really have to have that determination that this is going to happen. One of my patients recently, they mix it up in not always ideal, but they were mixing their supplements in Nutella. But you can also get like a cacao paste that kind of tastes a bit Nutella is someone else was mixing in that. I say to parents, I don't care what you mix it in, within reason, but the most important thing is that they, you get the nutrition in because obviously it's not going to work if it's, as my wife says, um, very black and white. Um, the supplement's not going to work if it's still sitting in the bottle on your cupboard. Mm, absolutely. And if they're already eating some of the unhealthy foods anyway, if you can try and put it in that, you know, it, it doesn't matter. You so. feel better. Yeah. Better. <laughs> 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 um, and probably the other, other one I wanted to mention, and this comes back to um, some of the genetic um, variations as well, um, B12 and folic acid. And, again, B12, if you're getting blood done, you can get your blood levels done with B12 and determine if it is an issue. Um, and folic acid the same. Um, there's a concept around um, at the moment, as well as pyrrole, the MTHFR gene and gene variations. Um, some kids, if, you, if, you, if you're an undermethylator, then you may have trouble with detoxing and particularly dealing with heavy metals. So sometimes you can get tested for the genetic variation or you can just supplement. So activated B12 and folic acid can really help improve methylation and heavy metal detoxification. Zinc is actually um, one of the first nutrients that I look at to help with um, removing heavy metals as well. It inform, forms a part of a really important complex that helps to bind to heavy metals and remove them from the body. So zinc probably in so many ways is, is probably, you know, it's definitely up there as well. For, it's involved in over three to four different, three to four hundred different enzyme reactions in the body. So and if you're zinc low, you're going to even get a better effect from taking the zinc supplement. But yeah, B12 and folate help with methylation. Um, what is, can we go through what stress. is methylation in a condensed form? We can, we can. So um, a certain percent, so we have genes. Methylation is a process whereby we add methyl groups to um, genes, but it's also involved in heavy metal detoxification as well. So if you're an undermethylator, you don't methylate well. So you're much more prone towards damage from oxidative stress, damage from toxins, damage from heavy metals in a nutshell. So 
you can have a gene test and you can actually be told that you've got a variation in one or two sets of genes predominantly for MTHFR. Um, now, again, it's, it's where it gets a bit blown out of proportion. I always say to my adults, if you want, get the gene test. However, if your homocysteine levels are fine, your genes aren't a problem yet. So it's a bit like celiac. Someone can have the gene for celiac but never develop celiac. So if, if someone's concerned about MTHFR, what I would do is I'd get homocysteine added to the child's blood test results. If homocysteine's fine, then I wouldn't add that up as high on the list of the contributing factor. Mm-hmm. Okay, excellent. Can we, before we start to wrap it up and head to the five rapid-fire questions, can we just go through Ooh, all the... What rapid-fire questions? Give them to you So can we just go through the supplements again, just to round up? We don't yeah. have to explain them, but just give, just if we can name them. So if anyone's listening and they've got their pen and paper handy, they can yeah. write down all the supplements um, all right. as we go through them. So, yeah, so for Pyrol... And just for kids, kids' health generally, I get all my kids on zinc and vitamin C anyway. So for pyrrole, it's zinc picolinate and activated B6. Um, for brain inflammation, um, we're looking at glutathione and what's called NAC or N-acetylcysteine, uh, vitamin D. And again, don't just take vitamin D. If you're going to have blood tests done, work out what blood tests you want to have done, get your levels tested so you know how much to take. Vitamin D, um, fish oil. So fish oil is your omega-3, but again, it has to be the best quality fish oil. Otherwise, you're actually adding heavy metals back into your child's body. So obviously, that's not going to be a good thing. Um, supplemental B6. I had B6 down as an added thing. I'm a bit of a fan of all your B vitamins generally. So that would be, if you're doing the essentials, that would be a children's, a good children's multi, um, which would include your B6. Uh, magnesium is another essential that I would recommend. And vitamin B12, either as part of your B vitamin complex or if you're suspicious of MTHFR gene variations, get your homocysteine levels done. And But B12 folate also helps with glutathione production as well and the conversion of glutathione to its more activated form, so um, B12 and folic acid. And, of course, I, I'm not on my list here, but definitely a probiotic. You know, right prescribed. And probably the, the, the big thing I would say with all supplements is um, it all comes back to the quality of the supplement. So if you're giving your child supplements, you don't want to be giving them cheap, cheap's the wrong word, but inexpensive supplements off the supermarket shelf. They have to be practitioner only and practitioner quality and from companies that really go out above and beyond TGA requirements. TGA is awesome in Australia, but you need a company that's go above and beyond TGA to really make sure that there's no um, there's there's no um, bad excipients or additives in there as well, that they're absorbable, that what's on the bottle is what you're going to be taking. So nutrient-wise, I would always recommend seeing someone that's got a lot of experience with prescribing nutrition, and they're generally going to give you the best quality or make the best recommendations. Awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, my gosh, I have learnt so much. It's, I'll have to go back and listen to this podcast myself. Um, let's head to the five rapid-fire questions. So number one is what is one habit that parents can implement today? Um, get a water filter. Hmm. Yeah, awesome. Absolutely essential. 
Get okay. a water filter. Make sure, encourage the drink, kids to drink only water. You know, milk's a food, so it shouldn't be drunk as a drink, and juice is just sugar and water. So if you do nothing else, we'd encourage get a good quality water filter and encourage your kids to drink water. Love it. Okay, number two, what do people never ask you that you wish they did? <laughs> <laughs> um, about kids, kids' health? Yeah. Um, is there anything that people, you know, hold back on asking you about or you just, you're in a session with someone and you're just like, I, I wish they asked me that, a topic that you'd want to explore more of? Well, um, I've, I've got a lot of topics that I can explore explore at length. Probably um, probably the, the big thing I'd like parents to ask me or be more educated about is this stress response in our kids. Um, what, what can I be doing to help my kids um, be less stressed? Like even just for parents to be recognising that it's such a big issue with our kids these days. So, yeah, to ask me more questions around, okay, what can we do? What can we do as a family to help our child, mm -hmm. actually? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Love it. Number three, what book would you recommend that all parents read? <laughs> <laughs> um, around kids' health? Yeah, if there's one. Yeah, specifically, I suppose, if there is one that you can name. Um, my... my yeah, look, there's not there's not one specifically that would stand out for me. Um, my information I've accumulated over a long term from a lot of seminars. Um, I was talking to you before about um, Keith Bock in in the states. He's definitely worthwhile looking at. He's actually he's got a new book out called The Four A's, and um, it's definitely worthwhile to read. Okay, so that's Keith Bock. Yeah, Keith Bock. He's was an integrated doctor in the states, specialises yeah. in autism. And his new book out, I haven't read it, but I've got it on order. It looks phenomenal about um, why we're seeing about kids' health, why we're seeing the increase in conditions like autism, ADHD, asthma and allergies. So, yeah, that's a definite must-read. Excellent. Number four, what is your top unfinished bucket list item? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, um, going to Africa. Lovely. Going on safari mm -hmm. and, yeah, seeing animals in the wild. I've wanted to do it since I was a kid. And we're actually going this year in July, oh, taking um, our two children as well. So it's a trip of a lifetime, we say, for this year. But it's definitely, it's, it would be number one top of my bucket list, actually. So Excellent. And last question, number five. If you could only offer one piece of advice to parents, what would it be? Educate yourself. Read, read, read. Listen to podcasts. Listen to your podcasts. Um, but become educated. Like... Our healthcare system, we need to be responsible for our own health. Parents are their child's best expert. You know, we can take our kids to everyone under the sun, but at the end of the day, you know your child's best. So educate yourself um, and, you know, focus on becoming the best parent you can possibly be. Love it. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you for having me. <laughs> what a pleasure. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in today. I really hope that parts of the episode resonated with you, but more importantly, I hope that you feel inspired to take action from home base. If there is someone who you know who would benefit from this podcast, please share it with them. Now, I love connecting with you all, so if you head on over to Facebook and Instagram, you can find me there. All you have to do is search Homebase Hope. 
Now, if you subscribe to this podcast by heading to iTunes and hitting the subscribe button, every fortnight you will get an instant notification of the latest interview. And if you do love the show, then please leave a five-star review because this will help more people discover us and it will help us inspire more positive change in people living on the spectrum. So until next time, I encourage you to open your mind, respect the differences, and above all, believe that you can make a difference from home base. See you soon, guys. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.